Welcome to episode 39 of the Forward from 50 podcast, where we interview people over 50 who are pursuing new direction for their lives. It's an opportunity for men and women to tell their stories, their way, in their own words. I'm Greg Gerber, the founder of Forward from 50, and your host for today's show. Today I'm interviewing a husband and wife team who turned the tragedy of losing their daughter into a purpose to minister to other grieving parents. Laura and Dave Deal are from Wisconsin, where they raised five children. Dave worked in information technology, while Laura was involved in international children's ministry and traveled to 15 different countries. Their life took a devastating turn when their daughter Rebecca was diagnosed with cancer at age three and had to endure nine months of chemotherapy, as well as having her leg amputated because the tumor was in her leg bone. Later, they discovered the chemotherapy drugs administered to Rebecca actually weakened her heart to the point the girl needed a heart transplant too. When Rebecca was 29 years old, her body finally gave out and she died. That experience sent the couple, especially Laura, into a very dark place for three years. Now in her 50s, that's when Laura decided to pour her grief out on paper by writing a book titled, When Tragedy Strikes, Rebuilding Your Life with Hope and Healing After the Death of Your Child. When she started blogging about her experience, Laura realized she had been called into full-time ministry to help other grieving parents. She and Dave developed a platform called GPS Hope, which stands for Grieving Parents Sharing Hope. To tell us how their tragedy turned into a purpose to help others during a time of great need, please welcome Dave and Laura Deal to the show. Thank you for joining me today, Dave and Laura. I really appreciate your time. So tell us a little bit about yourselves, like where are you from and what are you doing right now? I grew up all over the place. Uh, my dad went into ministry, and so we moved around quite a bit and settled in Milton, Wisconsin, and eventually met Dave here in this area in Wisconsin, south southern, south central Wisconsin area. And the Lord directed me. I ended up, I had many years of children's ministry, international children's ministry, so I've had the blessing of going to many nations for that. And I'll let Dave catch up with his story, and then we'll take it from there, what we're doing now. And I was born and raised in this southern Wisconsin area as well, probably within a 20-mile radius. And I eventually became an IT director for a company nearby, and that's what I did for many years. Supported my wife in her international ministry and sent her out to be my hands of love to uh, the uh, church abroad. So wonderful. That was our, you know. So for international ministry, you were actually going out helping kids across the globe. Yes, I was. Did a lot of trips to Africa, Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania a couple times. I had the blessing of Australia, England, so Colombia. So went to many nations. Over 15. Wow. Yeah. And you did this before yeah. you were 50. Yes. Okay. Yep, I did. And then we got hit with something very devastating. Our daughter, when she was three years old, she was diagnosed with cancer. That was back in 1985. And at three years old, she went through nine months of chemotherapy. And she had her left leg amputated as a three-year-old because that's where the cancer was. It was a tumor in her bone in her leg. And... So she lived, she survived that, lived for uh, 26 more years, but 
We found out later that one of the chemo drugs they gave her at the time caused heart damage. And so she did have 10 years of heart issues and some of them became very major. She needed a heart transplant. And I won't go into the lengthy story. If someone's interested in that, it, it is on our website. But what saved her life at three years old ended up being what ended her life at age 29. And so on October 12, 2011, she went to go be with the Lord, dance on two legs, no more heart issues, but it was very devastating for us and for our family. I didn't even know that kind of darkness existed with the death of our daughter and where it took us. I can imagine. And happened to happen the year I turned, I'm sorry. I said I can imagine. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but yeah, that happened the year I turned 50. So that definitely was a life-altering experience. It took a few years before our mission changed, but... I can, how many children do you have? Becca was the oldest of five. The oldest of five. Wow. So that would be devastating. Mm -hmm. And this happened after you turned 50. So it, your, your life went on a different trajectory shortly after your 50th birthday, but it didn't come into fruition with this new purpose until several years later. What prompted the new purpose? Correct. Yeah. What, uh, how did it create um, a new purpose? Like I said, it sent me to a place of darkness that I didn't even know existed with the death of my daughter. And I woke up one night. It's funny because when I look back, one of my childhood dreams was to be an author someday. And I used to, you say if things from your childhood, things you did in school, usually little fun pictures or craft things. I saved a lot of things that I wrote over the years when I look back, little books or writing assignments that I love doing. And I woke up in the middle of the night. It was about two years after Becca died. And I just had this book title in my head and all these ideas for chapters. So I got up and I wrote it down and it was, Lord, maybe I'm supposed to write a book someday. And I found myself sitting down and the first line in my book was something like, three years ago today, I buried my daughter. And the book is called When Tragedy Strikes, Rebuilding Your Life with Hope and Healing After the Death of Your Child. And I didn't know anything about writing, publishing. I thought I was going to figure out, self-publish this book. So we were studying out everything, what it would take to get this book out there. And in that process, we went to a, a conference, kind of author-entrepreneurs kind of thing in San Diego, and met up with a man named David Hancock, who will say the Lord, or just happened to be, he had his own writing company and was a publisher. And we ended up in a conversation and he asked me to send him what I had. And I was offered a contract for this book through a publisher that I wasn't even pursuing. And so that really kicked things off. The book was written. I didn't know there were a lot of books in me. I've now written eight published books, nine technically, because I've branched out in a different area also, but started blogging. And it actually, it just turned into a ministry. It was not anything we had planned. It was something that just started happening organically through God. People started coming to us, asking for help and support with their own death of their own child. And she was asked to be a speaker at different national conventions for bereaved parents. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, so we now have a full-time ministry for parents who have lost a child and it's called GPS Hope. 
which stands for Grieving Parents Sharing Hope. And even that name, when we came up with that name, we had no idea it was going to be a ministry. Our church had three campuses. And you know how a lot of churches have life groups or home groups. And so they asked us if we would have a small group for parents who had lost a child. And so just coming up with a name for that little home group that started in our family room on our couches, praying about what to call it. And that was how the name came out, having no idea that God was going to turn it into a ministry that branched out even more how we met you, (laughs) branched out even more than what we ever expected or thought or imagined. That's incredible. Now, when Becca died, did you find resources to help you through that process or were there none out there? It was very difficult, which was one reason I think I ended up starting to write and we do what we do. A lot of what was out there, books I would read, trying to connect with Facebook groups, was very dark. A lot of it, what I saw was that it's hopeless. Your life will always be horrible. You'll never be the same. You'll never get past this. Life will always be dark. And I had a really hard time with that. I knew I would never be the same because our children are part of who we are, and we do feel like it's very unnatural out of order to bury our child. But I knew that I had the seed of hope in me. I knew God wasn't blindsided by this. I knew God had not reached his limit. So I knew there had to be a way out of the darkness. And I had a specific time where I read or heard something where trials blessings come wrapped in trials. And I thought the death of my daughter is a very deep trial to wrap a blessing in. I just, I couldn't see it. And the Lord spoke to my heart, I know, because I had my son died and it was wrapped in the blessing of you. Oh, that's And that sweet. just really struck me that it just Yeah, that it is possible through the death of my child that there could be blessings wrapped in this somehow. And so I felt like Jacob with the angel, it's okay, God, if you have blessings for me through this somehow, I felt like only he could do that, that I was just going to hang on to him and wrestle with him and not let go until I started seeing some of these blessings. There's a biblical story about wrestling with God and not letting go until you get a blessing. So that's how I felt like I was just going to be like Jacob and just hang on and wrestle until I started seeing some of those blessings from him. So when this happened, you had not written any books. All you had done was children's ministry and had been a parent yourself. And then your life went in a completely different direction. God pushed you into this ministry or opened the doors to a ministry. I don't think he pushed you into it, but you walked through it and started having an impact on other people. How did you get started? You said in your living room? As far as our local support group that we started, it was in our living room. And then eventually we started meeting outside of the house. And, uh, but more than that, she started writing blogs for our website and with her books, basically when she started writing books, the floodgate was open, like within 13 months. She had five books written. Wow. And uh, only by the grace of God. Yeah, I don't yeah. even know how I did it. It's <laughs> once it started, there was just like it a just, dam broke and I just wrote and wrote. <laughs> they were all yeah. written. One was called Triple Crown Transformation, which is a more generic book on see the crown, wear the crown, be the crown. And 
how we are a crown in God's hands. And that one was a little more generic, but it did have a lot to do with dealing with the darkness of the death of a child and other tragedies that people go through and how they triumphed over that. The interesting thing was the ministry that I was in for children's ministry was through, it's called Kids and Ministry International. And my mentor and leader, her name is Becky Fisher. And she asked me to come and speak to, we had a, a, a conference every year for children's ministers in North Dakota. And so she asked me to come and speak to these children's pastors because I had stepped back from that ministry. I did try for a while to do both, but children's ministry is high energy and I was deeply grieving. And those two things just didn't mix. (laughs) And so I had to step back children's ministry. And so she asked me to come because I had written a few books by then to speak to children's pastors on how to handle something like that. Because children's pastors can be the front line if the child is young to the family. How do you help these families through this difficult time? And so on the way home from that, Dave and I started talking, and it's if God's starting to send us out and do this as a ministry to walk with other parents, maybe we should get some sort of a little, uh, at the time we didn't even know, they're called a Class C motorhome, where we could just travel a little bit as I'm speaking, go out two or three weeks, have something instead of hotels and restaurant food, something that just felt like home away from home, and then come back until we go out and speak the next time. We spent two years studying motor homes and what that would take and what we would want and what our needs would be as we traveled out like that. And occasionally we'd look at the bigger class A's than the ones that more like a bus. and Just dream dream, about it. There's no way you'd ever afford one of those things because they're just crazy expensive. But God had a little different story in mind. Yeah. It's one of those things where you think you know what God's asking you to do, and he just reveals a little at a time. Because I think if he showed you the big picture all at once, you would just go, no way. You would just quit. It'd be overwhelmed. (laughs) So we spent two years looking at things and studying out what we would need. And one day I was in my little prayer room in the basement, and I found myself up. First, I should add that by this time, I had, after 35 years or so on IT, our company decided to split into two. And as a result, they laid off over 1,500 people, mostly IT people across the globe. And the IT directors were the middle management, and I was one of those that was laid off. And then for over a year, we looked for other possibilities uh, of work and not even staying in the area. We'd look, we were looking anywhere and nothing was just really opening up. And I knew with my resume was pretty good for things not to open up. I just had that uneasy feeling that God might be looking at doing something different. And then this is a, uh, you can go back. Yeah. So I was praying one morning and I found myself journaling God speaking to me that we were supposed to sell our house and get a motorhome and do this full time and move into the motorhome. It wasn't going to be a little thing every two or three weeks, but it was a big thing. And we were supposed to do this full time. Our son and his daughter were living with us at the time. And he'd been, he was actually house shopping at the time. (laughs) 
And so I, it was like, how do I talk to Dave about this? This is pretty big. And I just took my journal up to him and read it to him. And he said he felt like God had been speaking the same thing to him. Wow. And so within 15 days, God opened the door for us to have a class A, the big motor home. And we were blessed. The man who was selling it had a need to sell it. And when he found out he was a brother in the Lord, when he found out what we were using it for, he sold it to us for $15,000. What? And so we, yeah, we spent two, and you've been in it, Greg, so you know how beautiful <laughs> it is. It was an older motor home, but it was one of those things, as soon as I walked into it, it felt like home. Yeah. And we just and even, knew it was ours. Even to this day, if we go into newer motorhomes, we can't find anything that we like as well. No, but it was and, just perfect. And the other thing, because God has a tendency to give you little extra kisses. Yeah. <laughs> when we were dreaming and going into class A's, we fell in love with the Newmar brand. And this was a Newmar motorhome. So it was just... Interesting how all that kind of fell in place. Yeah, yeah. So our son did buy our house, our brick and mortar house, and we moved into the motor home. And we did have some huge challenges that first summer. We uh, have a permanent campsite at Blackhawk Campground in Milton, Wisconsin. And we had thought that summer we got the site. We'll live in the motor home over the summer before we pull out in October. And that'll give us an idea of what we're getting ourselves into, <laughs> what we need, what we don't need. We're still in Wisconsin within, what, five miles of, of our brick and mortar house and sold almost everything out of there. And then Dave's dad unexpectedly passed away and his mom had Alzheimer's and we didn't, dementia. or dementia, and we didn't know how bad it was until his dad passed away. And the doctor immediately said, she cannot be by herself. And so she had to have someone with her 24-7. And so Dave and I took turns living with her and our son and a nephew every once in a while. But what we thought was going to be a summer in our motorhome to figure out what we were doing, we didn't have. And this was in August and we were slated to leave and start traveling in October. With people to speak to and the yeah. campground was closing. So it wasn't like an option. Our house was sold. This was it. But, and obviously my mom losing her love of her life after 65 years of marriage, she was struggling and with the dementia and all getting her out of her home and into assisted care was not something we were going to push on her. Mm -hmm. We just sat back and let the, the Lord do what he needed to do in her, her life and in her heart. And one night while I was there with her, she called me into her bedroom. It was a, an evening where you could tell she was all there. And she said, David, I just have to say that you and Laura need to do what God's telling you to do. And don't worry about me. God will take care of me. And her being in that lucid spot, I knew that was solidified in her. So I told her we did have a an option for her to look at. And the next day we took her to see it and she fell in love with it. And we were able to move her into that assisted care living. And then we went on the road full time then for five years. That's so, astonishing because most years. assisted living facilities have waiting lists that are months long. 
Exactly. Yes, exactly. yes. And we actually knew the, I guess she would be the owner of this one. And she knew Dave's parents and knew us. And she was sister in the Lord. And so she said, yes, we'll make room. We'll make sure that she's taken care of. So that the Lord already had that in place also for us. That's incredible. It's amazing how God has so much things in place before we ever even knew this is what we were going to be doing. He's yeah. just so good like that. And even in our, re- and in our pain, because that's why we do what we do, because we aren't the same. And it's interesting, said that our daughter Becca had an amputation at three years old. Well, she had a prosthetic leg. She grew up with a prosthetic leg and and what do you do with that first little leg, three, this tiny little leg? What do you do with that? How do you throw it away? It's just a weird thing. And I just, I kept it, that very first leg. She got a new one every year as she grew. But I just kept it somewhere. And I came across that as we were clearing out to move and realized what an absolutely perfect illustration this little leg was of us as parents who've lost a child. Because it's like when your child dies, you feel like a part of your very being has been amputated from you. It's been cut off from you. And you have to figure out how to live with that piece of you missing. And so we had a front row seat to watching Becca grow up and all the things that came with having an amputation, the day-to-day living, how every day was a reminder she didn't have a leg. And how am I going to live today without my leg? And so to, as a children's minister, I always use illustrations and object lessons, and Jesus did too. And so I'm so used to having objects with me, and I travel, we travel with that little leg, and I pull it out, and I show the parents, and I talk to them about having our child amputated from us. And I talk about some of those day-to-day things nobody thinks about. When you have an amputation, what size shoe do you buy when one foot grows and the other doesn't? And it's the same with us as parents who don't have a child. There are things that nobody thinks about until you don't have your child anymore. Day-to-day things. How am I going to do this? How am I going to get through that? And so it's been a, a crazy, also something that obviously God knew way back then that this little egg <laughs> would be used to help parents who lost a child figure out how I'm going to live my life without my child. It can be done. It's going to look different. I'm not going to be the same, but I can have hope again, and I can live a life of meaning and purpose again. And it's not in spite of my child's death, but it's because of his or her life that I can continue to live and give my child a legacy and live with hope that I'm going to see my child again someday. That's an incredible story, Laura, because, and it's a perfect example of how you can use your pain, even the most darkest, deepest pain to help others because you went through it. You know what these other parents are experiencing. You can communicate in their language, basically. And you can say, I truly, I believe what you're Mm -hmm. saying. And a parent who has not lost a child can be empathetic, but would never truly understand like somebody who has already experienced that. Yeah, I had an email just this morning from someone who found one of our YouTube videos and she had a big caps, finally, someone who understands. (laughs) Did you have any speaking experience before you started this venture? 
I, I did because of being a children's minister. And a lot of what I did was not just children's ministry, but going, traveling, and teaching those who minister to children's pastors how to minister more effectively and to go beyond just Bible stories and teach children, you know, how to enter the presence of God as children, how to hear God's voice as children so that you grow up knowing how to hear God's voice. And so a lot of what I did was teaching adults how to teach children to get a hold of God himself beyond just Bible stories and Sunday school. And so I, and I also became an administrator of a school that children's pastors could go through. It was a very intense school. And so those administration things also, when I look back, prepared me to have my own ministry. It's a lot of work to be the administrator. And then you look at Dave and his IT experience. I am so technically illiterate. (laughs) Very impatient. I am very (laughs) impatient with technology. And for God to already have that in place also, where Dave does so much of the behind the scenes things. I'm the person that is speaking and writing and ministering directly. But then Dave's the one behind the scenes that puts all this together so I can do all of that. So it is out online, those kinds of things. And it it wasn't that those specific things were skills I had as IT, but they related to the field I had so that I could pick those things up and do what we needed to do. But there's plenty of stretching, too, that goes on. (laughs) I I call him my own personal geek squad. (laughs) For example... Driving a 38-foot motorhome with a car behind it, making me 58 feet long, was not a comfortable thing to do to start out with. And uh, matter of fact, very when we pulled out, it was the first time, not the first time I drove the RV, but the first time I drove it more than three miles, and the first time I pulled anything behind me, and we had to drive six hours to Indiana. Oh, my <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, hours is a lot, much less for the first time. <laughs> so, Dave, you had the technical skills. You understood the language, basically, behind, like, websites and things like that. But you didn't have any experience putting it together. Was that difficult for you? In a lot of ways, it was like that. I mean, I did have a technical background as a programmer, but most of my career, I was a manager. Yeah. So I had people to do this stuff for me. Okay. But <laughs> so you... I had to... I had to grab some of these skills again and tighten them up. And it's not quite the same thing because obviously my IT background was used in the manufacturing world. Now it's used in helping to edit and format books and post podcasts and websites and those type of things. So it's not completely unfamiliar, but it, it, it's not like all of a sudden you're going to be able to do everything you've always done before, just in a different way. But he's got a mind that thinks that way, and I do not. <laughs> That's neat. Did it require? I'm very you... creative. He's very analytical. Did it require you folks to get any new equipment or learn any new skills to put this out outside of coming together to learn HTML a little bit, to put the website together? Like, for example, editing the podcast, learning and understanding some of the audio programs out there. Uh, we did have a musical background, have done musical recordings in the past. So I was familiar with recording, but it was still some things a little bit different. She's got a YouTube channel that we take every podcast and post it out there, not in audio or video form, but in audio form. 
which has definitely increased our podcast viewing significantly. But in the podcast itself has just been amazing how God has used that. It's probably now the number one way people find us. We've been doing that for over, over episode, five years. 236, so yeah. divide that by 51. <laughs> coming up in, yeah, coming up on five years, weekly podcasts. Yeah, I've only missed one week, and that wasn't even through the dust and the family. It was just a week and, I had to miss, that, but... That's grown significantly. The first year we had like 15,000 downloads, which is a listener. And uh, this year we're on pace to hit like 130,000. That's and there's about, about 15 or 16 countries now that different episodes have hit their top podcasts. Yeah, all podcasts, not just grief. That's what's so strange. You take all podcasts, you, you narrow it down to grief. It's pretty small. Then you narrow it down to bereaved parents, it's even smaller. Then you narrow it down to a Christian faith-based, it's even smaller yet. But yet it's hitting in these 16 different countries as one of the top podcasts in different months. One of them, which I found very interesting, was United Arab Emirates, of all places. They were listening. And Greg, there was something you asked. Yeah, there was something you asked that I... I don't think I really quite finished answering. And that was, what was I finding when Becca first died? And uh, most of what was out there was not faith-based. There was a lot of spirituality, people trying to contact their children because they wanted that kind of peace. There was actually, in some of the groups I was in, there was even like animosity towards Christians and the Christian faith. And I really felt as believers, it was very hard to find something that gave any kind of hope and allowed Christians to struggle with their faith because it really is a hard blow when your child dies. We all pray for protection over our children. We believe there are verses that we stand on in the Bible. And then when your child dies, it, it sends your faith spinning because it's like you have to figure out, is God really who I thought he was? What is all this faith stuff? And there really isn't a safe place for parents who've lost a child to walk all of that out and to be honest about how angry they are with God and how they feel like God betrayed them. And can I really trust God? And all of those questions, there's not very many places that parents can go that are safe where they can explore all of this. And so that was another reason why we felt like it was really important as God began leading us to actually pick it up and say, yes, God will do that for you and for other parents who find themselves in this place. Is your podcast interview-based like this one where you're interviewing people who have lost a child or are you providing teaching? I, it's okay. a mix. So I do have other parents come on who like maybe a specific topic within the death of their child that they have. This is what helped me thing. And then a lot of them I do are on my own from like emails that parents send me something they're struggling with. And so I'll tackle that as a topic on the podcast episode. I do have to ask a question. A lot of parents who lose a child, the marriage comes to an end. What did you folks do to strengthen your bond together? to get you through this and beyond? 
I'm looking at him because I've been doing so much talking, <laughs> but then that's typical. So <laughs> he's the behind the scenes guy and I'm not. <laughs> exactly. But when Becca was first diagnosed with her cancer, we had a wonderful pastor who had us over for dinner. And because the statistics are very similar for severely ill or terminal, that kind of uh, situation with a child. And so he wanted to make sure that we were aware of this and that instead of fighting each other, we fought the enemy and we pulled together instead of fighting each other. And we did see, unfortunately, when Becca was going through a chemo, we saw parents divorcing while their children were going through chemo treatments. Now, how can a child not blame themselves growing up Absolutely. for that if they survived the cancer? That's right. Absolutely. And so all of our marriage, we've had some very difficult things going on with our children. We have faced a lot of things that many families, most families don't face that go beyond just the cancer and the death of a child. And so we have always, you know, gone back to that and done our best to pull together and intentionally and purposefully um, and not blame each other because it's easy. Somebody's got to be to blame. We're in a culture where somebody's got to be at fault. Um, an accident is exactly that. It's something that wasn't planned. It wasn't intentional. It just happened. But we have a hard time with that. And so a lot of parents will blame each other. Um, if you would have done this, if you would have paid attention to that. And instead of blaming each other, you pull together. I think another thing in relation to losing a child, mm -hmm. we handle grief so differently. And even though we know innately that there's no right way or wrong way to grieve, when it comes to our spouse, we have a tendency to say, but you're doing it wrong type of thing. If and you're when, not doing it grieving like yeah. me, you're not doing it right. In our case, Laura wore her grief on her sleeve. She was very public about it. And I am much more of a private person than that. So mine was much more internal. But what happens a lot of times is women, a lot of times they will pull out pictures. They'll go through all this stuff and they'll sit in their rooms, smell their child's clothes, yeah. cry, look at their stuff. And, mm -hmm. and they need to do that in order to process through that. But as a man, we tend to go immediately into protection mode. Mm -hmm. And we come home and we see our wife doing that. And we're thinking, why are you doing that to yourself? Put that stuff away. Can't you see how it's hurting you? And so we take our way of dealing with grief and try to impose it on our spouse. And like from a wife's viewpoint, a lot of times it's like he won't talk about it. He won't talk about our child. He won't talk about how much he misses them. They need counseling. They, you know, something because they just he won't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And men aren't. For the most part, they don't process things through talking about it. We have to talk about it. Yeah. They don't. Right. They don't process it differently. When we do weekend retreats for bereaved parents, one of the things we, one of the sessions we do talks about the differences of men's brains and women's brains and how we tend to work differently on that. The same thing is applied through our grief. And so the biggest thing to me during that time is, of just having a tremendous amount of grace for your other family members, because even your other kids are all going to grieve differently and having to have grace to allow them the freedom to do it the way they need to. 
and also the freedom to let them know they can talk to us about it. And like Laura was saying, the difference between I, I don't typically talk about stuff. She has to talk about it. So for her to be sensitive to my needs, to not force me to try to talk about it is a good thing. But it's also for me as a man to realize her need to talk about it is important. So I have to at times be able to allow her to do that and converse with it. And it, it can be uncomfortable because the way we are naturally, but it's something that you need to do in order to prefer one another. Yes. That is outstanding advice, Dave. Very good. Now, Laura, I understand you're moving in a different direction with your writing and that you released a kind of a different book this summer. Why don't you tell us about that? Yes. Yes. We acquired our daughter's cat while living in the motorhome. And so she traveled the nation with us. And I say traveled because after five years of living full-time in the motorhome, we are staying put. We got a townhouse in Janesville because of a lot of our kids and grandkids are just, they just need us home right now. And to be out helping other people with their grief when our own family needs us home. So we're staying put this year. But the ministry just is not put aside, just the <laughs> traveling side of it for this year. We don't know. We'll see what God does, if it's permanent or temporary or whatever. But our cat, we acquired Savannah, our daughter's cat. And she travels with us. It's our youngest daughter, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Becca was the oldest daughter. We had two, two girls and three boys. Savannah, our granddaughter, decided that she's very creative. And she was nine at the time, two summers ago. And she started making up these stories about Savannah who travels with us. And they were so cute and so good. I said, Elena, we could turn this into a book and we could write a whole series of, of kids' books. And she did not know I was an author. And so I took her, I showed her some of my books with my name on them and her jaw dropped. She did not know grandma was an author. And so I said, we're going to make this happen because these are really cute stories. And so we did. So this last, when, when did it come out? A couple months ago, our first book of the series is called Savannah Needs a Home. And we got an illustrator and it's an actual children's book that's out there that can be purchased anywhere. And so it's the first book in a series of Savannah's Adventure series. And we already, she, we already have 30 titles and we have the next two stories already written of this series. We just have to get them illustrated and out there. And this first one is about her being adopted or rescued from a... Yeah, she is a rescue cat from our local shelter. And so some of the proceeds will go towards our local, to our local shelter for this first book. And um, people are loving the book. I'm starting to, we're going to be going into some schools. We have some set up and we had someone who bought books for their entire class for Christmas this year for their kids to give out. And it's been really fun to be an author that goes beyond just all the grief books. It's been a nice little side road that I've been able to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. The other thing that that's unique about it is after each book, Savannah sings a little song. And it's always the same one, but each book's going to have different words. And so at the very end of this one, Savannah sings the song, and there's a little QR code that you can scan. It'll take you, and you can hear Laura and Elena sing the song with Savannah. 
Oh, she's got a little meow at the very end of the song. <laughs> that is so cute. So every adventure she'll have her uh, a different song based on that adventure. What a wonderful memory for you to have with your granddaughter. How many grandkids do you have? Now we have seven. Seven. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Are you going to write books with everybody? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> that sounds like a lot. That's awesome. Uh, Becca did. She did have a daughter. She was married and she had a daughter and her daughter had just turned nine years old. Oh, so that has been an, when her mom died. Yeah. So that has been also another interesting piece of things, watching our granddaughter grow up without her mom. Right. So that's just another life now. She's now 21. She's, She's 21. Oldest wow. granddaughter. Mm -hmm. wow. And Alina, the one this book with, she was the first grandchild born after Becca's death. Yeah. Okay. She was born almost a year and a day after Becca died. Yeah. And one of her middle names is Becca. Oh, so that's she's sweet. always had a little connection to her aunt <laughs> that she's right. never met. Yeah. What advice would you give to people over the age of 50 to help them either identify or pursue their passion? I think I tell parents because that's something it's interesting because I think it parallels when your child dies, you feel like your life is over. Even if you have other children, a, spirit, a spouse with a good marriage or a, a ministry you love or a job you love, you can't imagine continuing life without your child. And you just feel like life is over. And I think sometimes when you hit a certain age, you feel that way. Life is over. The best of life is behind me. And that's just not true. So much of it, I think, is our perspective. And I tell parents to follow the breadcrumbs. It probably won't happen right away. But if there are things happening in your life that kind of stirs so an excitement up in you, don't feel guilty about it. Just follow the breadcrumbs. And for me, I look back at something that I wanted to do as a child was to be an author. It didn't happen until I was after 50 and after my daughter died. And so life is not over. I think of a, a story I heard a long time ago that just really stuck with me. And it was about a nurse who was a very good nurse. And she had a doctor tell her, you should go on and study and become a doctor because you would be a great doctor. And her response was, yeah, but with my life now, that would take me like 10 or 12 years. And, you know, I'd be so old by then. And he said, okay, but how old would you be if you weren't a doctor? You'll be the same age, whether you're still a nurse or whether you're a doctor. So when, you know, in 10 or 12 years, do you still want to be a nurse or do you want to be a doctor by then? You'll still be the same age. It's a matter of what do you want to be doing by then? And so I guess to me, it's don't see life being over. It's not over. And I think all of us probably had dreams and things that were quenched in us for whatever reason that we can't go back to, even if it's a hobby. You wanted to, you played trumpet and band and you want to pull it out. Find a local symphony or uh, somewhere you can play or a choir or something. Just go for it. Do it. Agreed. That's awesome advice, guys. I really appreciate all your time today. You have a very inspirational story about turning pain into purpose and impacting the lives of others. And then also having the joy of creating that book with your granddaughter and starting a whole new series yeah. that brings different joy to other people. How can people <laughs> connect with you if they'd like to get in touch with you? Our website is gpshope.org. Basically everything else you can find on there. If you know of parents and you're not one yourself, you can share that with them. And our podcast can be found, Grieving Parents Sharing Hope Podcast. 
on pretty much any podcast platform. And if you want to connect with us with Savannah, with yep. that fun side of things, uh, go to savannahsadventures.com. Now, Savannah is spelled with one N. S-A-V-A-N-A-H, savannahsadventures.com. Yes, she has her own website. She has her own website. She has her own Facebook page. She thinks she's the cat's meow, too. <laughs> <laughs> she is a sassy little cat. So. And folks, I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you, Greg. We always enjoy talking with you. They have told their story countless times, yet recalling the details of their daughter's death is never easy for Dave and Laura Deal, the founders of Grieving Parents Sharing Hope. That's why I truly appreciate their vulnerability and willingness to share their story with us. The Deal's ministry started as a home-based small group serving their Wisconsin church family. They were motivated to do something after discovering all the available resources about losing a child were dark and offered little, if any, hope to parents. Soon, their small group expanded to a larger community, and Laura started blogging about her experiences and sharing her hope with hopeless parents. The blogging turned into books, and despite never having written a book before, Laura completed five books within 13 months. As their ministry grew, Dave and Laura felt called to take their message to a much wider audience. They wanted to help parents around the country, as well as support children's pastors who were on the front lines of providing care to grieving families. The Deals contemplated getting an RV and traveling around the country to speak at churches and at other events. When Dave suddenly lost his job due to massive corporate restructuring and he couldn't find another job, the Deals saw that as a green light to use RVing as a way to advance their ministry. When a motorhome became available that was exactly what they needed at a price they could afford, and their home sold much faster than expected, the couple knew God's hand was involved in the process. As a result, Dave and Laura have been successful at starting or supporting multiple church groups to care for grieving parents in communities around the country. Eventually, they started a podcast to help people through their grief and let others know they were not alone in their pain and disillusionment. It is one of the most downloaded shows in that category in 15 different countries. GPS Hope involves not only ministering to parents who have lost a child, but helping them to protect their marriage as well. Although David and Laura have come off the road for a while in order to spend more time with their children and grandchildren, their ministry continues. To connect with the couple, visit www.gpshope.org. That's all I have for this week's show. If you'd like help in identifying a purpose for your life or to get help in planning your next steps, I'm offering a complimentary brainstorming session to members of the Forward from 50 Facebook community. For details, connect with me on Facebook or visit www.forwardfrom50.com. I'll have another inspirational interview on the next episode of the Forward from 50 podcast. Thanks for listening. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review wherever you download the episodes.